here last week, you saw that we began talking about, we're doing this really short series. Started last week, it's probably ending today. <laughs> short. Uh, you can barely call it a series, I guess. Uh, but what we're talking about is we're looking at the fact that in order to truly be all that we were meant to be as fully devoted followers of Jesus, really it's important that we understand what it truly means to be a part of the church. What does that mean? Because I think if you ask people, what does it mean to go to church? What does it mean to be in the church? What does church mean? You ask a whole group of different people, you're going to get all sorts of different answers. So I think it's important, really, not just so that we can define it, so that it really has an impact on our life, to be all that we can be as Christ followers. We saw that as followers of Jesus, we are the church. Remember, we saw that, that we are the church. And we saw that it's, the church is looked at as people who are essentially uh, this new race, Okay, this is new race of people that have been set apart and called out of darkness, of the darkness of sin in order to make known the goodness of God. That's what the church is, okay? At least the church now. That's what we are, the church. That's, that's what, who we are, and that's what we're called to do and called to be. And as the church, we've been given a very specific mission to fulfill. And we talked about that last week. And that mission is to what? Make disciples. Our mission is to make disciples. That's going to look, we talk about how that's going to look differently for all sorts of people and where you're at and your gifting. But that's our mission as followers. When you become a Christ follower, not only do you join a family, not only do you become a whole different, basically a race of people, you are given a whole new meaning for life. You are given a whole new mission to accomplish while we are here. Okay? And it's to make disciples. You may be thinking, whoa, what the? I've heard that all my, but I don't think I'm doing that. Or I don't know how to do that. Well, that's why we're talking about this. I think the enemy wants us to do everything he can to keep us from doing that. Remember, our mission is, and I'll just remind us, Matthew 28, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, or actually as this word in the Greek talks about, as you are going, it's not just like, oh, hey, by the way, now that you're sitting around, get up. No, as you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, this, this is a special mandate from Jesus himself to all Follow all of his followers to, to really to step out in faith and to, to take action to proclaim the good news of the power of the gospel. Anybody thinking, wait, I, I'm not an evangelist, Rob. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about being an evangelist today. I'm not talking about being an extrovert. That's not what we're talking. That's not what he's talking about. So I think a lot of time we do that. Well, I'm not qualified to do that. I don't have that kind of gifting or that personality or that education. How can I? I can't do that. Well, as we're going to see, we very much can all be a part of doing that. And this, is, this mission really, it's, it's for us as individuals, but it's also for us as a church body as well. I really believe that, that we're called to make disciples as individuals, but also that's why we're here as a church. Okay, it's not just to come and eat incredibly delicious coffee cake in the, in, the, in the, thank you, Joe, in the morning. There's a lot more, obviously, to that. Now, it's a good idea. I think it's a good idea up front uh, that we understand what a disciple really is. This might sound elementary, but I think it's important that we do that. Technically, 
On number one on your notes, if you want to follow along on the little sheet there, technically, a disciple is a learner, okay? That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a learner, okay? Yet simply not just a learner of information, but an adherent or imitator of their teacher, okay? This is technically what a disciple is, okay? Therefore, a disciple of Jesus is a person who is in the process of learning to adhere to and imitate Jesus' life and teachings, okay? That's what a disciple is. So someone asks you, what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? This is what, you can change the wording here and there, but that's what it means. We're in the process of learning to adhere to and imitate his life and his teachings. As one uh, author I read this this week um, puts it, he puts it like this, discipleship is the ongoing process of submitting all of life to Jesus and seeing him saturate your entire life and world with his presence and power. That's what it means to be in the process of discipleship, to being a disciple, okay? It's this idea of being devoted to becoming more like Jesus in everything, every day. Whether it's on your day off, whether it's your work, whether it's family stuff, whatever you're doing, that's what it means to be a disciple, to be devoted really to this ongoing process of maturing in our faith. Okay, that's what it's about. So what does that actually look like, though? What does maturity look like? What is? Because oftentimes we talk about being a mature Christian or being an immature, and I think we get images in our mind, but what does that mean? Well, there's a lot of ways in the Bible to register that or just know what that looks like. But I think it's very interesting that the writer of Hebrews actually gives us an idea of what spiritual maturity looks like when he tells his readers this. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their, pa- the pow- their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. See, what the writer of Hebrews is saying here, he's saying that, that the, the people that he's writing to, they should be more mature or further along in their faith than they are. He's seeing their life. He's seeing how they act. He's seeing how they treat each other. He's seeing how they live things out. And he's going, this isn't the way it should be by now. And I think if Paul were writing to the church, especially, I think, in America today, <laughs> I, I think there'd be two words that he would have for us. Grow up. I really do. And not in a shaming way, but mature. Or to some of us, especially, you've been in the church for decades. You've claimed to have been a follower of Jesus for decades. Yet the same, you're still needing to be spoon-fed these very basic understandings of the gospel. You're still not getting who you are in Christ. You're still not getting why you're believing all these lies. You're not getting it. Don't be that way, he's saying. He's saying they should be past this whole needing of being spoon-fed these basic things of faith. 
But they should be able to, they should be learning and they should be applying deeper and weightier principles in their lives. Yet not only that, he's saying, and you should be teaching other people. He's not saying you should have the gift of teaching. He says that, he's, not, he's not saying one day kick Rob out of there and you get up there and do that for him. He's not saying that. But he's saying that we should be able to communicate the basic principles of the Christian faith to anybody that needs to know. Not that we would say all the right words. I've told you this before. And lately in the last couple of weeks, I've had a lot of opportunities to talk a lot about basic gospel stuff with some non-believing friends. And I got to tell you, I'm sweaty. I get sweaty. You know, I get, you know, I get like uh, tongue tied. So he's not asking for us to be super literate as far as knowing every answer. He's asking us to be faithful with what we have and as we're growing and share that uh, with others. Because the truth is, as followers of Jesus, we are meant to continually be maturing. We're meant to be on this continuum of, of growing in our faith and obedience as we learn to discover and apply these truths of Scripture to our lives, okay? That's what he's saying. And because, remember, we saw last week, we are all technically ministers, all of us are. Remember, there's some of us that are teachers, pastors, prophets, apostles. Those people, those gifts have been given to equip the body to do the what? To do the ministry. So my role as a professional Christian is to equip you, okay, to do ministry. But I think in our American mindset, a lot of time, it's like, you do the ministry, the paid people do the ministry, I learn from them, period. And that's what Paul said, he's saying, the writers are saying, no, it's so much more than that. In other words, number two on your notes, as followers of Jesus, we are to continually be maturing in our faith in order that we can make disciples who can make disciples. That should be our thinking and we're our growing in our faith. We're not just growing in our faith. We're not just maturing just so I can be, have a lot more knowledge and be really knowledgeable in, in, in God's word. No. I am supposed to be maturing in my faith so that I can help others come to faith, mature in their faith, and so on and so on and so on. That's the whole idea. It doesn't just stop with me at all. Same, uh, same writer I quoted earlier says, what God has done to you, he now wants to do through you. Does that make sense? The incredible thing that he has done, because really it's an amazing story, isn't it? I'll remind us of it real quick. The rea Before we came to Jesus, you and I, by our very nature, were spiritually dead in our sins because of our rebellion against God. That's who we, you are before you come to Christ. Basically, the Bible says that we're subjects of God's anger and wrath. Isn't that wild? That's how holy, that's how amazing God is that those that are not in Christ are seen as people that there's, they are subject to his anger and his wrath because of the rebellion. But I thought God was a good God. He's a good God. And he's a just God. The ultimate definition of justice is God. And how he sees things and how things work out. 
We were essentially, when we're, and when we're that way, we're literally, believe it or not, enemies of God. It says we don't need, there's no way that we can even know we're completely ignorant to his love and his acceptance of us. But the great news in all this is because God is a God of mercy, while we were in the midst of being enemies, he showed his love to us by sending his son to die in order that we could become adopted children into his family. Isn't that amazing? And not only that, adopted children, but dearly loved, oh, so loved children of his. You see where we went from? Do, we see, do you see the paradox here? Of, of, uh, you see how different from being God's enemy to being God's dearly loved child? And that's where we have come. If you have put your faith in Christ, that's where you have come. Literally, we're born again. Spirit, and it makes available to us the power of God through Jesus Christ to literally transform our lives. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Number three on your notes there. So regardless of what you have done or will do, because your life is now hidden in Christ, God the Father loves you because he loves his son. We cannot forget that. We cannot forget this. Do, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are so loved by God because when he sees you as a child of his, he sees his son? And does God love his son? Oh my gosh, in a way we could never imagine. So that's how he loves you and me. You and I. Sorry. Is that right? Okay. You're the editor. <laughs> that's amazing news. This, you guys, this is our new identity. If you are a follower of Jesus, our identity is in Christ. Because of what he has done. That is amazing news. This is powerful and freeing message that, here's, here's the truth. We need to be reminding each other of this. Continually reminding one another over and over in order to help one another mature in our faith. And it's also a message that we need to be sharing to those that are still dead in their sins. Those that are living as enemies of God, this is the gospel. This is what the message of the gospel is. This is what makes people disciples of Jesus. And once again, you don't have to be able to make it super articulate and under explain. You just need to know the basic principles. You need to know what it means before you're in Christ, what Christ did, now what it means to be in Christ, now what it means to live in that. However you want to say that. That's what, a, that's what a disciple is. Now, here's the thing. In the light of all this, the question that you and I believe, I believe that we need to be asking ourselves as followers of Jesus is, how are we doing at fulfilling our mandate or our mission from him to make disciples? How are we doing? This isn't, once again, this isn't meant to be a guilt thing at all. This, be a lit, this morning's kind of a litmus test, Okay. How are we doing as individuals, 
But also, I would say it's just as important for us to ask, how are we doing as a church? How are we doing as a church at making and maturing disciples of Jesus? How am I doing as an individual to do that? Yet I think really, because we have an enemy who will do everything in his power to thwart us at fulfilling our mission, I believe that we must really ask another question that really needs to go along with us. Here's here's what I think we need to be asking. What are we doing? we doing as a church to better facilitate an environment where we are encouraging and we are challenging one another to be about making disciples? What are we doing here? Because if we're not, as a church, if we're not encouraging and, and helping each other and, and challenging one another to be disciple makers, we are missing why we're here. We're missing the point. That's why we are here. It's not just to feed me, feed me, feed me. I feel better. I'm getting a better handle on who I am in Christ. That's all good, but there's more to it. Jesus told us there's more to it. The Apostle Paul constantly was telling the churches there's more to it. Remember, because we saw last week, the reason this is so important we talk about us is because we saw last week that to truly be a part of the church means being part of the body of Christ. Remember? Now, not only the body of Christ, but we need to be unified and on, on mission, which really we know flows out of true community. The community we experience one another ignites all this stuff to happen. We saw that as a body that we belong together. We belong to each other. We belong to one another. And everyone plays a vital role in helping one another, not only to mature as disciples in Christ, but in helping other people come to Jesus. We need each other. This mission that God gave, he, Jesus gave, he did not say, now go, like I said last week, now you by yourself, you go do that on your own. That's what the church body is for. And I want to tell you, if you're not being encouraged by the church, and you're not encouraging within the church, to help people mature in their faith and to help others come to know him, then we need to ask ourselves, why am I here? What, what, am, what am I missing? What am I doing that I should be doing? Should, what am I doing that I shouldn't be doing? What am I not doing that I should, should be doing? And once again, this isn't a guilt thing at all because I look back at myself and I go, oh man, I'm so sinful and I fall so short. That's why we need Jesus so bad. Why we need him so desperately bad. Now, to emphasize this this whole thing of unity, because unity is the key, okay? Jesus is saying that unity is key here. And in order to emphasize this whole thing about how unity uh, with one another, in order to fulfill the mission of making disciples, is so important. Listen to what he said in John, and we kind of talked about, we sang about this actually. John 13, 34 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, they will know we are Christian. They will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is saying that as we learn to love one another, and I'm not talking about love one another with kind of like this affectionate love that I have for, that I I can muster up myself. No, he's talking about loving others 
with the same love, get this, that he loves us with. Whoa. That's, that's a, as they say, that's a whole lot of love. That's a lot of love. And when this happens, the world will know we are his disciples. Now, a little bit later, I love this part. A little bit later in John, there's this uh, section called the high priestly prayer. It's a prayer where Jesus takes this chunk of time to specifically pray to his father. And he prays to, for his father specifically, specifically <laughs> to his, for his disciples. And, and he prays for them in a couple ways. He prays that w- they would be protected from the evil one, that they would be set apart by the truth of the gospel in order to impact the world and that they would experience the same joy that he's experiencing. And then he does something really cool. Then Jesus actually goes on to pray for us, for you and I. He says this, listen, listen to what he says in John 17. He says, I do not ask for these only, only for these 12, but I also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He's praying here that you and I would experience deep unity with one another. Not, and here's the thing, not because we all agree on because our politics are lined up, not because, you know, we kind of have the same interests, you know, or we really like another. we have a bunch of things in common, or that we don't really struggle getting along too much. That's not what he's talking about here. But he's talking about you be unified because of your shared life in Christ. That's how we're, that's how we're supposed to be unified. You see, that really, there's this, there's this false notion out there that to be unified, to, I mean, to experience true community, to be really unified, there must be complete harmony. Things have got to be going well. There's, there's an absolute absence of any conflict. There's, there's no tension. That is nonsense. Absolute nonsense. That there should be no tension and no difficulty in our unity. We are sinful and broken people that are bound to disagree and step on one another's toes, right? We're going to do it. Foot in mouth. I, I, I've got a gold medal at that. I mean, it's, we do that stuff all the time. We do. We do it all the time. Relational tension within the body is going to happen. It is going to happen. But number four on your notes, number four, the truth is that unity is not about the absence of tension and and conflict, but the presence of Jesus in the midst of tension and conflict. Did you get that? It's not about the absence of it. It's about the presence of Jesus in the midst of the tension in the midst of the conflict. It's actually in inevitable messiness of close relationships that discipleship actually begins to happen. Now, I know some of you are thinking, some of you are, also have the gold medal in conflict, um, what is it? Avoid. Avoid, exactly, conflict avoidance. And we all do to a certain degree. Who likes conflict? 
And I'm not, so I'm not saying jump into it, but I'm, what did Jesus say? Don't ignore it. Invite me into it. It's a part of life. Invite me to be a part of it. Because that's what discipleship begins take place as we learn to lean into the realities of our own brokenness and our need for the transforming power of Jesus to make us more like him. When we avoid conflict, when we sweep things under the rug, when we ignore people, when we decide I'm not going to talk to her ever again, we miss out on an opportunity of the power of the gospel to transform our lives and to move us in different and closer and closer to him. Hard stuff. But that's where faith comes in. Well, the other thing Jesus tells us is why. Why he prays that we have experienced that kind of unity. He says it's so that people would believe that he was sent from the Father. You see, it's our Christ-like unity with one another that is going to persuade people to believe who Jesus is. That's what's going to persuade them to believe the truth about who Jesus is, our unity with one another. I think we know that in our head, but do we practice that? Do we think about the fact that I'm having relational difficulties with a brother or sister in Christ? It's my job in order to make sure that the mission of making disciples in this world is fulfilled. I need to take care of that. I need to invite Jesus into that. I need to invite the power of the gospel to transform my life. I know, obviously, we say, God, please transform their life first. But we need to allow the gospel to transform our life so that the unity is not only preserved, but it is flourishing. And people go, you too? You're you. But you know what? Because of Jesus, because of Jesus, we're working this through. It's going to be okay. We're loving each other. It's not easy, but we're, we're, we're doing that. Again, this happens as we learn, as we talked about last week, to cultivate these mutual relationships with one another, relationships where we're really deeply interdependent with one another. And really, it comes when we are truly, we truly know one another and we're known by one another. This is so vital. When we allow others to know us to the point where they know us enough where we're able to freely to one another's lives, we're freely able to speak the gospel into one another's life because I know you. I, I've been really convicted about this. Like when I think about someone that I have a struggle with or I don't get along with or I'm having a bad attitude about, it's so easy for me to think, God, just help me love them, help me love them, help me love them. But what God is convicting me now to do more is to say, okay, how do I get to know them in a way that would help me then to be unified with them? That's hard, isn't it? And I don't think I do it very well. But that's the conviction the Spirit has been giving me lately is, okay, you have a difficult time with this person? Get to know them better. Hmm. But why would I want to do that? We don't get along. (laughs) Why would I want to do that? That's going to be messy. Because you invite me into it, I'll transform your life, their life, and I'll bring a picture of unity that the world just thinks is insane. And doesn't make sense. And your witness will be so powerful. So unity, which inevitably, really what unity does, it it fosters maturity in Christ. 
and greater impact in making disciples. That's what it does. It happens best as we share life with really what I like to call and what other people call, I've heard it called, is gospel intentionality. As we share life with one another, with intentional want to live out the gospel with one another. As we learned to, as we saw last week, remember we talked about the one another's? As we learn to what? One another, one another. On the back of your notes, I just listed them all, so you'll have them when you take it home, all the, the one another's that are in the New Testament that we are to be doing to one another out of, that flows out of our love for Jesus, that flows out of our connectedness to Jesus. Number five on your notes there, though. What sharing life with gospel intentionality practically means is taking responsibility for one another's maturity in Christ by exhorting, encouraging one another, and encouraging one another in the context of everyday life. He doesn't say it only happens when you come to the women's and men's Bible study or you come to church on Sunday morning. Lord, it only happens when you make a specific appointment with someone to go take a walk and talk about something. No, he's talking about gospel intentionality is allowing the gospel to speak into every situation in our life. As we're driving in the car with someone, as we're hanging out, we're having coffee or having beer with somebody, just hanging out, and we're, we, we hear some say something and we speak the gospel into that. We talk about we just allow the gospel to shape or we recognize what's going on. We recognize a lie in someone's life that they're believing and we speak into that in their life. Not necessarily in church situations. It really happens to speak the gospel into one another's lives. I read a great book recently called, not that, called Gospel, called gospel Fluency. I would highly recommend it. Highly. Gospel Fluency. Andersdell, the guy I just quoted earlier, listen to what he says about this whole idea of being gospel fluent. He says, we need the gospel, and we need to become gospel fluent people. We need to know how to believe and speak the truth of the gospel, the good news of God, in and into the everyday stuff of life. In other words, we need to know how to address the struggles of life and everyday activities we engage with the truth of Jesus, the truth of what he accomplished through his life, death and resurrection, and as a what is true, we put our faith in him. The gospel has the power to affect everything in our lives. Now, first of all, I'm going to get something out of the way. Gospel fluency doesn't mean praise God, brother. Good to see you, man. It's not Christianese. That's not what gospel fluency is. That's a whole different thing. Gos being gospel fluent means helping people to overcome their fears amidst uncertainties by pointing them to Jesus as the source of their, sec their security, not their circumstances. That's the source of their security. Or when they're anxious by exhorting them to trust that their heavenly father cares deeply for them. It means helping people to see that they are absolutely valued and loved, not because of how successful or accomplished they are or even how other people view them, but because they are now found in Jesus. And Jesus was faithful to do completely all the good, perfectly do all the work that necessary to be done in order for us to be seen as absolutely righteous and complete in God's eyes. 
That's what being gospel fluent means, helping people to understand that and learn to say that. And it's like he, the guy, what I love, he said in this book, it's a lot like when you're learning a foreign language. The best way to learn a foreign language is what? To be immersed in that language, right? So really the best way to learn to be gospel fluent is to put ourselves in a situation where we are constantly hearing that. Speak that way. Number six on your note says, it means helping each other, th- others thinking to line up with what is true about Jesus in our life in him. It means pointing others to the power of God to restore, save, heal, and renew in a way that is made possible because of the work of Jesus. So often we have great advice for our friends but we don't point them to Jesus, right? Often my Christian friends, too. I got all this, yeah, I, got, heck, I have a master's degree in counseling. I'll tell you what's going on. No. <laughs> That's crazy. What they need is Jesus. The answer to every question, what do I need, is Jesus. It's learning, though, how to communicate the truth of who people are in Christ as we address the things that they are going through. It was the Apostle Paul who, in order to help people be mature in their faith, instead of failing into deceitful thinking, he said this in Ephesians. He said, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Number seven on your notes. Speaking the truth in love doesn't mean simply saying what is true from a loving heart. It means speaking what is true about Jesus. It's speaking the gospel to one another. I can easily tell you, come up and say, hey, I have something to tell you, brother. Something says, I want to tell you that you really need to know. And it's true. It's because I've ever heard this one before, ever had this one. I need to tell you something because I love you. Okay, what are you going to tell me? And there's something that they need to know. And it's, and it's, a, hard, and it's a hard thing to know. But what he's saying here, what gospel fluency helps us to speak what's true about Jesus into their life. I need to speak some truth to you and I need to tell you why. I need to tell you to understand this because I'm a broken person and my brokenness has showed me that when I continue, have continued down that line, this is what has happened to me. And I, don't, and I know that's not who I am in Jesus. Jesus wants me to be, feel complete and find my joy completely in him. And I see that you're getting your um, fulfillment in your job. I see that you are getting your, your a sense of wh- how you feel good about yourself by how other people see you. I love you so much. Stop it. No. <laughs> I love you so much. I just want to remind you of something, of who you are in Christ. I want to remind you that just like me, you're broken and you're going to swerve that direction to want to find your self-worth from that. But you know what? Jesus did all the work. (laughs) So work's been done. He lived the perfect life, perfectly. And then he died for your lack of being able to live that way. You're free. (laughs) You don't have to measure up as a mom. You don't have to measure up as a wife. You don't have to measure up as an employee. You don't have to measure up to what their standard is. You know who you're bought? Your job? Your God is your boss. That doesn't mean you don't work hard. That doesn't mean you show integrity in your job. But you know what? If you get passed over for that promotion, that's not what's going to cause you to fall apart. You, you got a boss that understands you way better than that boss does. 
Is it difficult? Yes. But man, to know where my identity comes from, we need to, this is what we need to be telling each other on a regular basis. We need to hear each other because all of us are going to go askew constantly. Truth says, in order for us to grow in this whole area of gospel fluency, which really is a vital aspect of our, of our responsibility to help one another mature in Christ, we must regularly, now hear me now, we must regularly engage with a community of other people that know and love Jesus, but are also committed to speak the gospel into our lives on a regular basis. We need, we need to be in those kinds of, you can go to church anytime you want and hear lots of great stuff, but we need to be in a community of people that are committed to Jesus and committed to our maturity in Christ by being willing to tell us things that are true about who we are in Jesus. That changes church a bit, doesn't it? I guess I'm not supposed to say that on that page. It really does have an impact on how we are together. Once again, that same, that same author I talked about, he says this, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus who are being reformed and restored to become more like him, we need to have people in our lives up close and personal. We need people who can see where, where we do or do not believe the truth about Jesus and what he has done for us. Then when the layers are pulled back, we need people, people to speak the truth of the gospel to our needs. Sometimes we need a reminder, just a reminder of what we already know but have forgotten. Sometimes we need a bit of new information about Jesus. And there are times when we need a direct rebuke. This is how we mature, by being a part of these communities. So let me end here by asking you, asking a couple questions. Are you, am I, are we involved in one another's lives to the extent that we are taking responsibility for one another's spiritual maturity? It's not my job. It's all of our job to be responsible for one another's spiritual maturity. Are we doing all that we can to cultivate a spirit of unity by being intent, by intentionally speaking the gospel into one another's lives so that we can in turn be mature in our faith and then go on to fulfill our mission, why we are actually here to make disciples? If not, let me ask you this. What's necessary then? What might be necessary in order to allow or facilitate this to happen more? What might we need to do? How might be God calling this church, us as a church, to be better at experiencing unity with one another? How might God be calling us as a church to be better at sharing life with one another with gospel intentionality by regularly speaking the truth of the gospel into one another's lives so that we can grow to be more like Jesus? How might God be calling us to be a church where everyone is equipped to make disciples that make disciples? disciples, to be unified in such a way that makes, that makes others say, man, look at those Christians. I want what they have. 
I want what they've got. I want to get to know them better. I'm not ready to step into that building where they say words that I don't understand, like Ebenezer and things like that. But I am ready and willing to get to know them so I can see what's going on with their life. And this whole community aspect, speaking into one another's lives, vital in making this happen. I want to close this by asking you a fa- to do a favor. Would you do a favor, do me, uh, myself and the leaders of this church a favor? Would you be willing to commit to pray that the Lord would show not only the leadership of this church, but all of us how to be a community of faith that's willing to do really whatever is necessary to facilitate and allow this kind of stuff to take place, even if it means doing things that just seem so out of the box, even if it means doing something that just seems so different than what we're used to, whatever that might be. I'm not talking about, I'm I'm not not telling you we're going to do this crazy, we're going nuts now. I'm not saying that. Can we just be open for how God might want to shape and mold this church so we're not just um, satisfied with the status quo? That we're not just, oh, we're doing good. The Bible studies are great. Sunday mornings are really good. Great. But are we really doing the stuff that we just talked about this morning? Are we helping one another in this area? Are we really encouraging? Do we have things in place here that help facilitate this? Do we have things in place that help me to really get to know people? Not that the church has to do that. We should be doing that outside of the church. We should be getting together for coffee. We should be doing all sorts of stuff. Because this is the kind of church, I want to tell you right now, I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. I'll, I'll just admit to you, I'm not satisfied with where we are. I'm not. I'm just not. Are good things happening? Yes. Really good things are happening. But I'm not satisfied with what's happening. We, there's, we can be so much, we can do so much more. And I'm talking about activities. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about all the stuff we just talked about now. We could be doing so much more when it comes to being involved in one another's lives in a way that we're intentionally helping one another mature and taking responsibility for each other's faith. A couple questions here. I know I've gone a little long, but I have a couple questions for you. Uh, what are some attributes, just to kind of get us going here, what are some attributes or characteristics of someone who is mature in Christ? Just throw some out. What are some attributes or characteristics of someone who is mature in Christ that you've, that you've noticed at least or that you've seen in the, the Joyful, good, yes. Loving. Loving. And patient. Anything? What else? Come on. Through the fruit of the Spirit here now, we can, it's going to be a while. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no. Anything else? Being mature in their... In their Relationships, things that just stand out. Humility, faith, yes, faith. Humility, they're humble, yes. Exactly. That, that's a good sign of maturity when someone wants to actually know about you, not you know all about them. Yeah. Yes. 
kind and very practical. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yes. Non-judgmental. That's a tough one sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. Good. Next question. Uh, what are some ways of us living with gospel intentionality and becoming more gospel fluent that might impact Wait, what are some ways of us living with gospel intentionality and becoming more gospel fluent that might impact, might impact other, one another's lives? How might that happen? How might we impact, what are some practical ways that we would impact one another's lives if we started living with this gospel intention, more of a gospel intentionality and speaking the gospel into one another's lives? What are some, just some things that you would see, some uh, just basic things that how it would impact people's lives? Yeah, Buck. You mean so a, better, a way to do that better is to know Scripture. Yeah. Great point, man. Yeah. Yep. 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 That helps out. It. Yeah, it's hard to speak the gospel into people's lives when we don't know it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yes. There's a bigger picture here of what's going on. Yes, exactly. That's what happens when we speak the gospel in one another's lives. Yeah, what else? Yep. Exactly. Yeah, can you imagine you've got a, a community of people around you that are, that are talking that way? Then when you're on your own, you're probably going to be thinking that way. Yeah, great one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Can you imagine as people speak the gospel into you, how much easier it becomes to speak the gospel then to other people? That's why we need to be doing it with one another. We need to help one another. Yeah. Anything else? Okay. Last one, real quick. What might be some ways we as a church, <laughs> this could get tricky. Um, we don't have to worry about it if we don't get it. But what are some ways that we as a church can facilitate this to happen more often? Any ideas? Of just stuff that comes off the not that we're going to, just this is brainstorm kind, just for fun. What are some things that we could do to possibly facilitate all this stuff we've been talking about? Joey. <laughs> Actually, you know what? That's not just because a millennial said food. Um, it's very true. It's very true. Probably one of the best ways, I know a lot of up churches these days, what they're doing um, to be, get their people to know one another, they're, they're just saying, we want you guys to gather regularly for a meal. You're a group of people, you, got a, you have a set group of people or whatever, gather for a meal. There's not much better way to get and so know someone over a meal, is there? That's just fun. Or I would say golf too, but um, yeah. Yes, reaching out. And I know for some people that's hard. Other people, it's rather easy to say, you know, here's what's going on with me. But yes, sharing your life, being vulnerable. Yes, good. What else? Any other practical things? Yeah, Buck. <laughs> that's just being yeah being together being together ways that allow us to yeah really be get to know yeah anything else you can think of just off the top of your head maybe practically doing that yeah yeah okay good well good thanks guys um that just, that's really good input and um you got to know that um, I've been on a journey for this last 
eight, nine months in my life that God has really been doing some pretty crazy things in my life to personally, but also as far as how I see church. And the reason I mentioned earlier that I'm, I just said I'm not, I'm not satisfied because I really sense God wants more of us here. Like I said, not more programs, not more added stuff, but more, God has put this term, and we were elders, we were talking about this like, idea of having gospel communities, where we're experiencing life together in a gospel community, that people that are knowing one another, getting to know one another, spending time with one another, eating a meal together, being on mission together, speaking gospel fluency to one another, all these things that they are doing. I would like us to see, to figure out a way how to make those happen. I would love us. I would ask you to pray that how we can make that happen in ways that we can truly know one another, shepherd one another, all those things where we can really care for one another so that we mature in Christ and we then go on to fulfill our mission to make disciples. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to move into communion. What I want